we can't let them off the hook. No. All right. Do not buy into this bullshit. We don't have to get involved. They want us to get involved so they can reset the currency. Do not buy into it. All right. We didn't have to get involved in Ukraine. We don't have to get involved in Taiwan when China does something to Taiwan. We don't have to get involved with Israel. Like, why? That's their deal. All of these things are fucking fake. It's all designed to make us think that we have to start World War III. Stand with the current thing. Yeah. They're doing it to reset the currency and, and basically bail themselves out. They, but they made their bed. And they have to lay in it. Do not let them off the hook with this shit. You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Thanks, Mr. Uh, now look, here's a house full of bees. Like you think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I do. Welcome to... And I know it's not because of KRS-One Because he's dropping, dropping, dropping science Dropping history with a whole leap of style and intelligence Yes, I know And I know because of KRS-One Yeah, and I know I think some apologies are in order who was that? Sublime. That was Sublime? Yeah. Ah. Man, I was going to guess that more current. It sounded like Sunny in the Sunsets. Huh, I never heard them. They're, uh, we don't really do current <laughs> on, this, <laughs> on this channel. <laughs> They're one of the more current hipster bands that my wife listens to. I actually really like them. So I really like Sublime. And wow, I know, I, I know it's, it's a very unpopular, uh, stance to take, but, um, I've been listening to him with junior in the truck lately from a very analytical perspective, uh -huh. at least trying to, because it, it's just funny to me that there's some bands you're not supposed to like. And when you hear that song, you're like, what is it about this song that's bad or evil right you know that i'm not supposed to like it's a cool song it's about krs1 yeah which is pretty cool he was which is interesting because we were just talking about uh someone from the hometown that we grew up with and someone who's no longer with us rest in peace but he's the one that got me into krs1 because we were like punk rock kids we were listening to like bad brains and bad religion and cryptic slaughter and the accused but he moved up from um southern california uh-huh and he was like way into krs1 yeah i was like i don't get it and we started listening to it a lot i was like this is amazing this yes. is so good very intellectual uh hip-hop yeah good, he was, he was definitely like a level above over over, over what i thought to be hip-hop at that time so what is it about sublime that you're not supposed to like well, because I, that song i think it's really cool it is just good. that one guitar the vocals are kind of cool like he's it's doubled right through the you hear is kind of right and it's really off like the two the two versions are 
which, not really well lined up, which is kind of cool. Cause which it, I like, yeah. They bring some of it that's, in and out at different That's moments. why I thought it was sunny in the sunsets. It's kind of lo-fi. It's, it's kind of purposely sloppy. Right. Which it just gives it like a human feel. Right. Which I, so, and then you mix in, the only other instrument was a DJ. Yeah. So there's two parts to your question. What's mm-hmm. my problem with Sublime? Is number one. We are in a different time musically. I wasn't assuming you had a problem with them. I do. Actually, I have a personal vendetta. Okay. It's <laughs> good to know. Get that out in the open. Is there is um, two, two answers to that question. Is number one, given the context of what popular music is currently, mm-hmm. so you go back, what was this, 25 years ago? At least, yeah. Yeah, you're like, I didn't think music would get that bad. So you go back and listen to bands you used to clown on. Like, I don't know, dude. Like, who listens to... Pearl Jam, and you look back at not bad. I didn't think, <laughs> I had no idea like how bad things were gonna get. You're like, it's just a simple rock song. I, I'm okay with this. So you're not a Pearl Jam fan either. Uh, I I think I thought they have a couple good songs, but yeah, I was never. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was cool at the time because it was something to hear, like just a little bit kind of raw rock music becoming popular because we were coming out of the time of like. What Hootie and the Blowfish? Who we're gonna talk about a little later? Okay. <laughs> and the Spin Doctors. You're like just it, like it's it's like how the strategy of tension works. Right? Spins in the spins, as we call them. I'm like, just give me anything. Just give me like some decent rock music, and, and I'd be happy. Not that I was relying on corporate radio for listening to my music anyway, but so the context of time. Not to quote Kamala Harris here. <laughs> here we go. Is. <laughs> <laughs> is I think it's kind of relative. So you go back and listen to Sublime, you're like, not bad. Like, this is better than Taylor Swift, for example, who we're also going to talk about. Good. And uh, But also, when I was in high school, I was 18, I had a kind of semi-girlfriend who lived in a couple towns over, and I was, like, way into her. And she just announced to me, she goes, oh, my God, you won't believe what happened to me. I'm all, what? She was, I went to a party and Radley from Sublime was there and he sang Bradley. Bradley? Yeah. Okay. And he sang some song off the album. He did the drum beat by just hitting on the wall. He, we just sat in the uh, hallway and everything. I'm like, oh, right on. I was like, I didn't like Sublime. She goes, and then we totally made out. I was like, what's this? <laughs> she goes, yeah, we like made out at the end. I'm like, uh... <laughs> What's my reaction supposed to be here? She goes, it's the singer for Sublime. It's Isn't not that a big deal. awesome? <laughs> no, yeah, she was You can upset. kiss these same lips. <laughs> <laughs> There's still some of his spit in my mouth, technically. My buddy, Sean, at the time, who grew up playing in, like, punk and hardcore bands out in, like, Grass Valley area, and then he moved to Humboldt, and then became, we ended up starting a band together, but we were sharing Sublime stories. He goes, oh, yeah, right after that guy died, this band came up from Long Beach, and we ended up like going in their van and like partying and everything. And they had a dog with him. And I made some joke like, oh, let me guess. Is this the singer for Sublime's dog you have? And he started laughing. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, it is. Because <laughs> I, just, I just walked out of the van. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. So you haven't answered my question. Okay. What's so bad about Sublime? That the singer made out with my girlfriend. You did answer the question. I, okay, I stand corrected. All right, moving on. Fuck, I'm in Congress right now. Okay. I already answered that all question. All right, okay, all right. Uh, all right, so I got to tell you about the conversation I had this morning with a, uh, a woman in my life, uh, older woman, near and dear to me. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, actually, before I go there, 
over the during the week, <clears throat> we went and had dinner um, with another uh, woman in my life who's very near and dear. And she told me, "What are you Mormon?" <laughs> I know. She told me a joke, and uh, I'm going to tell it for you right okay. now. Okay. Because I know you love jokes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Number two, right behind board games. <laughs> so, okay. The, uh, this guy is talking to President Trump. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, hey, Donald. It's like, it's a, a friend of his, I guess. He says, um, I had this crazy dream last night mm-hmm. that you were going in a parade down uh, the street and there were just like people on both sides, huge crowd watching you, uh, watching you go down the street. And he said, Oh really? How did I look? And uh, this person said, I don't know. The, the casket was closed. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I didn't, know, I didn't know Trump derangement syndrome has become a genre of comedy. <laughs> so I'm just like, of course, I do the courtesy chuckle. like, <laughs> And immediately I'm thinking in my head, like, that's not a funny joke. Like, what would that joke be funny if you told it about someone that you, like, Joe Biden? Right. I mean, it's, the joke still works. Yeah. It's just, it's equally not as funny. Yeah. It's just not fun. It's just not a funny premise for a joke. Right. And I just bit my tongue and it was just like, <laughs> I got home. And of course I had to unload on Gertrude. I'm like, can you believe that stupid <laughs> joke? Cause this person tells good jokes. Some yeah. of my best jokes I got from this person. I know the person you're talking about and they're hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And she comes at me with this joke and I was telling Gertrude, I'm like, this, that is exactly what people mean when they say Trump derangement syndrome. Right. You are your sense of humor has been deranged yeah. to the point where you now are supposed to find something funny that isn't funny just because it's about someone that you hate because they dying, died the lines. dying. <laughs> okay. So cut to this morning. I love it when you quote your son. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm on the phone with this other near and dear older lady of my life. And we were having a pretty good civil argument about government, mm-hmm. whether it should exist or not. And mm-hmm. the, we got to the Supreme court and then she brought up Roe versus Wade uh-huh. and how corrupt it was and how people want to just control people's uh, men want to control women's bodies. And that's the whole reason for all this, blah, 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 blah. I'm aware of the talking points. And I of course push back cause I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't really have a strong abortion argument. Yeah. But what I do understand and someone like this does not understand is that the people who are pro-life, many of them women, mm-hmm. don't want to control your body. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe your argument is that deep down and deep inside their soul, that's really what they want to do, and this is a disguise for that. Okay, fine. If that's your argument, then try to make that argument with me. Yeah. But if you ask this person and all these people, what their goal was, it would not have anything to do with control. It would be about stopping what they see as murder. Mm -hmm. Okay? You see it as control. They see it as murder. And unless you can actually meet them head-to-head on those terms, this argument's never going to work. So because I'm winning this argument, she... And I'm not even arguing for pro-life or pro-choice. I'm, I'm arguing that the Supreme Court has no business deciding this right. complicated issue. She wants to, to cut to, 
I want to change the subject. It's like, okay. Which I'm like <laughs> patting yourself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> One point for Kelly. All right. And so we change it to uh, immigration. Oh, boy. And which I, I'm trying to get off the phone at this point. And she goes, uh, I mean, there should be. Going out as a winner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there should be uh, visas for people to come into the country. We should have visas to get people in. And I don't think, and I said, well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I think that is the existing rule that mm. you need, you know, can't just let people just come steaming across the border. She's like, I agree. I don't think people should just be allowed to come in. When you come in, when I used to live in Germany, I had to work. I, I got a visa to work. I couldn't just be there. I had to work. And I think these people should have the same thing. And I'm like, Oh, careful there, <laughs> MAGA mama. <laughs> that policy is sounding a lot like Donald Trump's policy. And she goes, don't say that name. I'm like, don't say Donald Trump. Yeah. Don't say that name. If you say that name, I'm hanging up the phone right now. I'm like, wow, really? I can't say his name. If you keep going down this, I'm like, okay, okay. Your policy sounds a lot like the former administration's what about policy. Kelly, that's it. I am getting off the phone with you right now. Valdemort, can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> what about Donald Duck? Is that? <laughs> and I just Ooh, sick burn, Chris Christie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that oh yeah. Singer. <laughs> oh yeah, man. That guy, speaking of comic chops, <laughs> oh, Chris Christie had a zinger. So uh, anyways, I'm like, wow. Again, I go inside and I talk to Gertrude. I'm like, this. I've never seen anything that was yeah. mo even more an example of TDS than this. Yeah. I can no longer say his name. It's hilarious. His name is now the thing that sets you off. And... It's funny, but when you hold that in your in your head and then think at the same time, uh, right now, they're trying to steal all of his property mm -hmm. in New York. Right. And we're calling his supporters, the FBI is calling his supporters terrorists. Right. I mean, they've come out and said it now. They're not even beating around the bush. Right. They're just saying people that support. Yeah. Do you hear that quote from uh, this week from Hillary Clinton? Uh, which one? No, I think I did. Go ahead. What is it? I'll kill you if you cross me. <laughs> uh, Ma'am, the mics are on. Oh shit! Uh, she's yeah. She she kind of floated out the idea like you know these people that support Trump are still out there and maybe some kind of formal deprogramming. It, oh it, right, it should, yes. it should be looked into. That's the language. Like, yeah. Where else have we heard that kind of language? Uh, yeah. Ukraine, Azov Battalion, some <laughs> possibly <laughs> the Swipe Right Party, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So here's my little uh, detour into Trump derangement syndrome territory. It's so hard to get um, for this stuff. So as you know, like I hadn't had a phone in what about a week, something like that. Mm -hmm. Right after we did the podcast last weekend, my phone. Either committed suicide or I won the lottery, the planned obsolescence op lottery that everyone wins when their phone <laughs> craps out when the new model comes out. Could, could be the one. Well, you, you won the uh, sanity lottery, too. Right. So I was if, without if we a all phone, could win it, we I, would be so lucky. I dug up an old phone, as you know, because I needed one for work. I went one, two days with, at work without a phone. I was like, I, I have to figure out something here. So I found this old cracked iPhone which had no internet, like no pocket, nothing. Like I had six work numbers in there and that was it. I was like, okay, this will get me through. 
And then through several tries, I went through and ended up at the Genius Bar where someone helped me not get a phone again. <laughs> so I walked away and I finally said, like, can you just, you have like a flip phone you could sell me? And uh, she goes, yeah, I could do that. And I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, dude, the, the thing I need a phone, like, I have all this money sitting in crypto accounts. <laughs> so like, and I was just like, uh, like, I can't do that on a flip phone. And then she comes back. She goes, I can't sell you a flip phone. I'm like, well, I could figure out how to get into those crypto accounts, like, later on. And this will kind of get me through. She goes, so it'll be, you know, about 45 minutes to an hour to get you the flip phone. I'm all, why? She goes, well, I'm, a, I'm tech support. I'm like, can I just give you money and you go back there and get me a phone? She goes, no, that's not how our system works. I got to put your, your name in the system. And then some, another representative has to come and then get your information and they'll get the flip phone and we see if we can get work. I've already been here for like an hour and a half. And the first attempt, because I brought them a phone, like, can you just make this work? And they're like, yeah, it was an additional 45 minutes. And they go like, well, it doesn't work. Apparently this is an AT&T phone, you have a Verizon account. So what you need to do is call AT&T and have them like reformat the phone. I'm like, oh yeah, no problem. I'm sure they'll just pick right up and <laughs> it'll just be done and done. <laughs> Hello, AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, I left without, I'm just like, I'm out of here. Like I'm, I just, I can't deal with this anymore. And my wife could tell like, this is my worst hell, right? Is sitting in the mall at an Apple store trying to get this technology to work. And I just said, she goes, how are you doing? I'm like, Ted Kaczynski was right about everything. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, and that's something that I've been thinking about all week. And most of it's cerebral uh, existing in my own head because I, you know, I've just I've read so much of his stuff and I end up looking into it more. But I've been completely devoid of like current events and the news and stuff like that until I turned on my phone Friday night and I was just met with this barrage of just the most bizarre and insane, horrifically bad news. And I just thought, like, is my life better right now? Like, no. Because I have access to this stuff? Absolutely not. Like, it doesn't seem like it is. No. It's definitely worse. Because you follow, like, some of the, po the political stuff. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you get that. <laughs> That's the, uh, the timer. Oh. So we're uh, sorry to cut you off. Yep. Uh, this is very important. <laughs> um, we're going to be Apparently my, uh, my car warranty just expired. <laughs> <laughs> I got to make sure I cancel Blinkist. Uh, my, uh, or, one of, one of our listeners, <laughs> <laughs> I know if 80, only we had known about 12 foot ladder, 80 bucks a year. Uh, we're going to be implementing a new program or a new segment, I guess, uh, as suggested per one of our listeners. Mm -hmm. A lot of times on Liberty Tree, Did we you make... say listener or harshest critic. <laughs> <laughs> I believe uh, both would be accurate. Okay. Uh, a lot of times on the show, we like to make predictions, and this listener suggested that there be an easy way to go back and... I like and this idea a lot. ...find our predictions, yeah. uh, presumably so this person could uh, show how wrong we were every time. <laughs> uh, but either way, I, if we were wrong, I'd like to be uh, held accountable for that. So at the 15-minute mark or thereabouts on every show from now on, we're going to stop and do our Liberty Tree prediction. Mm -hmm. If we don't have one for the week, we'll just rehash one of the old ones. Right. So if you're going back in years from now and you want to try to find these predictions. Because we're not going to do that. No, no. 
we may have an intern that could do that for us. But uh, by the way, if you are interested we're, we're in being hiring our intern, right now, yes, <laughs> send me an email, Kelly at LibertyTreeLifestyle.com with your resume, please. Um, if you'd like to be one of our producer, uh, it would preferably you'd be living in the area here. Uh, all right. So the prediction for today. Okay. Is one that we made previously. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to update it and then I'm going to pull a spin on it for you. I like spins. Okay. I like the spins. <laughs> so we had a, maybe the spins should be the theme music for this segment. This show produces itself. That's <laughs> beyond which I love. So we, uh, I predicted earlier that Gavin Newsom would become our president. Yeah. Okay. That in and of itself, I mean, that's the prediction. But I think what's more interesting is the mechanism by which that happens. Mm-hmm. The way that it happens, which we talked about a little bit a couple episodes ago, if I remember correctly. Yep. Yeah. We've 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 hit on it a few times. Uh, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Current president dies. Kamala Harris gets appointed. No, gets uh, gets yeah appointed. I guess right takes his spot. And it's the, smooth sailing from there on out. <laughs> the party then appoints Gavin Newsom to be the vice president. Mm-hmm. Then Kamala is embroiled in a scandal, has to resign. And they've already started laying the groundwork for this with the cocaine they cocaine found by, by the car, car. Right. Yeah. And then Newsom, who nobody likes, by the way, that's the way he becomes president because the guy won't win an election. The only way they're going to get him in is, is like that. Now, you could flip those two, the, or the order of the president dying and Kamala becoming president. She could get the scandal first before Biden dies, in which case they appoint Gavin Newsom. Then Joe Biden dies. Gavin Newsom just steps into the office. Right. Okay. Part B. Okay. Point three. So I have a part C. Yes. Number four. Okay. <laughs> there is a vacancy in the speakership right now in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. That person is third in line. Okay. For the presidency. The Republican controlled House has floated the idea of appointing Donald Trump. I've heard about this. <laughs> to Speaker of the House. We can say Donald Trump on this podcast, by the right. way. Yeah. So it's allowed. Say his name. Um, They appoint Donald Trump Speaker of the House. Okay. Joe Biden dies. Kind of a long shot, but go ahead. (laughs) In a car accident, Kamala Harris is driving. Oh, are we going to bring some Hillary Clinton into this? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Donald Trump gets appointed president. At this point, the Senate, along with the help from the House of Representatives, declares an emergency, and we cannot have a presidential election. They delay it for, uh, I'm going to say, nine months. I think I, I didn't know the math in front of me. Okay. At this point, Donald Trump will have served two years as president because they delay the election. Right. The new president doesn't get appointed and not in January, but then later on in like September, October, Mm -hmm. November, maybe, which means that he will have been in office for two years, thereby precluding him from having a third term Ah. in the Oval Office. I like this. Okay. Interesting. Let me hear your spin. I'm going to put one more spin on this. Okay. So we talk about how Gavin Newsom, who's 
clearly being groomed for president. Yes. Listen to this headline. He's been grooming himself. We, we were, <laughs> yes. With pomade. Yes. And we talked about Taylor Swift earlier, right? Yes. Listen yes. to this headline. Has Taylor Swift been activated, activated by the left as a secret weapon to ensure Newsom a shot at the White House ahead of the 2024 presidential Venturing election? Ventrian candidate. Yes. How does that work? So hear me out. Okay. Is Taylor Swift lost, lost the rights to all of her music? Uh, due to some corporate takeover by a place called Shamrock Capital, also known as Shamrock Holdings. Wait, this happened? Yes. I did not hear about it. And this. she's been fighting to get she the, her first six albums. <laughs> okay. Her first six albums, she, she owns the publishing rights, but not the royalty, like the mechanical royalties hmm. on like albums. I mean, it's estimated that that catalog is worth like 140 something million dollars or something like that. So she's been trying to get the rights back to her own music. She doesn't get royalties for it? She makes publishing royalties. I mean, she's insanely wealthy, no matter right. what. But she's not making royalties. She's not making the big money royalties on those first six albums ah, that, that she could be making. So it has been floated out as an idea that Taylor Swift has partnered up with Alex and George Soros, who are part of these financial groups that did this hostile takeover that ended up with the Taylor Swift catalog uh-huh. or Shamrock Holdings. And okay. there's like... Seriously, I started looking at this like 30 different like sub companies, like right, yeah, all the EMGs in there, like everything, right. So it is being thought that George Soros and Alex Soros put together this political, this super couple, this celebrity super couple with what's the guy's name, Kelsey uh, Grammer, Kelsey Grammer, no, oh, <laughs> uh, the, oh Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey. The Prince of Pfizer, we can call him. Yep. And, or to quote the meme, you know, between... Dating being, Taylor Swift, right? Dating Taylor Swift, and now she's this chief super fan. Right. Is that they are grooming them to push Gavin Newsom into the White House and push this pro-vax agenda. How could they do that? I haven't got that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but You're, That's, this a, I do that's know. a detail that <laughs> would help your <laughs> prediction here. This I do know is, to quote the meme... Between being the Prince of Pfizer mm-hmm. and dating Taylor Swift, either way, that guy's probably going to die of a broken heart. Zinger! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Uh, if you want to support the show, please go to Patreon. Become a subscriber there. Um, there are benefits to doing that that I don't have off the top of my head right now. But I promise me. All right, I promise you. Me to you. Mm-hmm. They gotcha. are there. Gotcha. Yes. Um, you can also rate and review the show. Share it with your friends and family. I know that's daunting, but uh, just, you know, drop it every, after you ask to pass the mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving, perhaps. I think we should be a little careful with advertising the Patreon page. Because are you reading the new legislation that was just proposed in Canada? No. Is that podcasts are now considered major media in which major media has to register with the Canadian government. Oh. But here's the caveat is we're going to talk about the... T- the Tiptoe totalitarianism? <laughs> Jesus. Thank you. <laughs> I think we just found a show title. <laughs> it's, a tr- it's a tricky one. In that where they float it out up to here, you push back and then they scale it back a little bit ah. and then push out to here. Mm-hmm. And every time, you know, as David Icke says, we don't move from A to Z, we move from A to B. To B to C, but we always talk about like, well, they we're at A, they pitch F, mm-hmm. push back, and but then they go back to B. Yeah. And we're like, everyone's like, okay, 
cool, we won that battle. You didn't. You actually lost a little bit of ground there. Yeah. And so with the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Company, uh, working with the Canadian government, is saying we have to register all podcasts with the Canadian government, them being considered major media at this point. The threshold is $10 million, and we're kind of close Ooh, to that. Yeah, really, so really we, scraping up against that yeah, uh, threshold. So I just want to be a little... little okay, never mind. <laughs> uh, stop sending us money, everyone, yes. please. Uh, we really don't want any more of your money. Uh, speaking of Patreon, I was joking, by the way. Uh, speaking of Patreon, I got a message from one of our listeners <laughs> through Patreon. <clears throat> hey, guys. This is from Steven. Hey, guys, I wish I had more insightful comments to share, but all I've got are some compliments. Overall, I really enjoy the podcast and the discussions you have. I really appreciated the start of the most recent podcast, Utah Give Me 2%, where you are expressing your feelings about being fathers. I am likewise blessed with a son, and your comments hit something I had been thinking about recently after a particular lesson at church, and I'll never stop seeing a mask as a head box. I shared a high-level overview of that story with her, and the parallel to masking, which he saw right away. I'm assuming he's talking about his chick. Though I can't go too dark with her. Many reasons. Birthing chick, I think it's called. Right. Many reasons from upbringing to social circles, but dark can get her spiraling a bit. I, on the other hand, appreciate the dark topics and tend to have a dark sense of humor. And similar to the story about enraging the coffee shop employees, I do make an effort to wear my Liberty Tree T-shirts where they are most ag- where they do the most aggravation. <laughs> Keep up the great work. I love this guy. My man. <laughs> I love this guy. Uh, I sent Matt a picture. Or I sent you a picture of my uh, the Glocks. Yeah, that a cool shirt with the red and blue Glocks. Yeah, I like on that. It. Yeah, on my way into the coffee shop in Yountville. It's nice. Get yourself a shirt. Okay. And we are going to take a short break. We'll be right back with you as soon as this awesome song is done. So I want to hear your thoughts on a couple things. Okay. Is because me being sans the matrix with no phone and no access to technology, which is something that Ted Kaczynski wrote quite a bit in Industrial Society in his future. I've been thinking about this a lot, especially when I was sitting in that Apple store. Just going like I just, I'm forced into this position where I have to engage with this system, with these people to get a working phone. I have to, I need it for work. It's, it's assumed that we all have access to technology at work. Even though I build tangible products, I build houses, like I still am expected to be able to respond to an email or download a PDF or whatever, or be, you know, available for contact, you know, and throughout the entire workday. I mean, at some point, if people want your, I mean, at some point you could become the guy that just doesn't. I know a couple of guys like that. that I just think you, you have to be older. Yeah. You have to be really well established where people just know they want you to do the project. Right. And you have to send him a letter in the mail. Right. To get him to respond to or, you. Or even I'll meet you halfway. Just like a flip phone. I can answer the phone if you call me, but I'm not going to text. I'm not going to, you know... Don't send me a text and yeah. assume that I received it. Like, call I, me. I do think I, you I know could a couple get there. guys like that. Yeah, yeah. And I was almost there. Are they older guys? 
Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Of course. So just to give the bare bones, you, you already know this, but we always say, like, don't assume that everyone knows what you're talking about. In the book, Industrial Society and its Future, which you know the bare bones about what, what, what it's about, right? Yeah. And he talks about how the Industrial Revolution and the rapid onset of technology is what we are essentially doing is we are witnessing and, and propagating the destruction of the natural world and also making human beings forced to adapt to machinery. And he's saying this in turn would create a whole new socio-political order. And that socio-political order and our reliance on technology and machines would suppress the human freedom in the, in the human spirit. And he saw that this was kind of like his overarching theme for his entire belief system. Mm-hmm. When I say natural world, I don't mean like every time we cut down a tree, like we lose a little bit of, you know human livelihood and he's talking about like this this rapid onset of technology and our reliance on it is going to cause all these problems and Mm -hmm. Ted Kaczynski who was a freak of nature super genius I think he had an IQ of the in the high 140s or something like that uh he saw this like very early on and checked out now you can make the argument his his execution was a little flawed. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. <laughs> but his ideas are right. There's a lot of like really good papers written like, you know what? Uh, the way he dealt with it, not on board, but he was right about like absolutely everything. Anything from anthropologist to sociologist to psychologist. Yeah. And by being... So what I thought of immediately when you started talking about that was um, the the tendency for people to want this technology uh, is great. Right. Even, even though this technology may be leading to their destruction mm-hmm. mentally. Right. He is hundred percent right that the outcome of this was, um, was bad for people mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Right. Yet it's still something that people choose. But what I thought of, when you, people knowingly choose this. I mean, you and I knowingly choose this. Yeah. We choose to get onto the hedonic treadmill. Right. Because it just seems like the other option is not any, well, the other option doesn't really exist in our society. Yeah. Today, you're, you could be homeless and you could, you know, but that's kind of your only other option. You're either on it or you're in the gutter. Right. And what I thought of when you first brought it up was when the, Europeans first came to the Americas and started colonizing the Americas. There were a lot of stories of people bailing on the Western life right. and joining the natives. Empire of the Summer Moon. I think uh, Sex at Dawn, Chris... Uh, he talks about that as well. He talks about... What's his name? Chris... Uh, he's on Joe Rogan a few times. Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, Christopher Walken. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, uh, he, they, there's never been, apparently, according to these guys, there's never been a case of natives wanting to become Western. Right. They, they never were, they looked were, at the Western way of life. They were forced to. Which was pre-industrial revolution. Right. But still, it kind of made me think of that. Like, it's, it, it, there's nothing really that great from a pure, like, human spiritual, uh, joy level that makes people want to get on this hedonic treadmill that, that we're all on. Yeah. And there's so much that like right now, if you and I could jump off the, the, the treadmill and just like join some native tribe, 
in America somewhere, like how tempting would that be? Mm-hmm. If we were single with no responsibility, I mean, what guy wouldn't do that? We kind of almost, we do that in a lot of the, we, speaking of surrogate activities that Ted K talks about, we do, some of our surrogate activities are actually like mimicking that, mimicking that lifestyle. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You're hunting, going out shooting, camping. getting better, camping, getting better with a bow. Yep. Making baskets. And- <laughs> no? Is that, that, not- that, is that what you were late yeah. today? Uh- <laughs> is they... To answer that question off the top of my head, it's it's there's a twofold thing. It's number one, first and foremost, because I think about it all the time. I'm like, I just sometimes it's, I would love to just check out. Yeah. Like I have the option where I could go move into the mountains and just stay there and take care of a property up there. Yeah. And I was like, well, my family expects more out of me from that. Like they 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 too are on the hedonic treadmill. You know, my wife and my sure. son. It's also the social pressures. Like we are, mm-hmm. we are, there's a metric being applied. Like there's a value applied to a human being of like, that unfortunately is intertwined with this hedonic treadmill. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, do you own a house? How big is the house? Yeah. What shape is the house well, in? And if you like, don't. Are you buying a new truck every couple of years? If the answer is no to those questions, then you have to come up with kind of a, a story as to why. And, you know, you actually really do want those things, but you just haven't gotten there yet. And you're, you're thinking about it. Right. And, and whereas the opposite, you don't have to say why you bought a new truck. Yeah. They're just like, oh, cool, new truck. Yeah. And then, it makes me think of that contractor that used to come into Freeman's all the time with no shoes on. You ever seen that guy? Yes. The barefoot contractor? Yes. Like that guy made a fucking choice. I'm going barefoot. And he has to explain that all the time. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I also have to be wary of applying, you know, whatever my ideological template is like onto my son specifically. It's like, everyone's like, you guys don't, your parents don't own a house and they don't, they take public transportation everywhere and your dad doesn't work. And he goes, well, my dad's an anti-industrialist, you know, misanthrope. So I guess I am too. It's kind of unfair to him. Like he might have a different set of values and I can't force those onto him. so hard. It is, it is very hard. Needle. Yeah. We are substituting our connection with the natural world. And I don't just mean the natural world to be hiking out in the woods or, you know, convening with nature or whatever it is. It's also... You need to apply that same ideology to human interaction, which is a biological need, right? And are having real life, like meaningful relationships in your life, you know, having conversations, looking someone in the face, what are their eyes doing? What's their facial expression? Picking up on these like verbal and physical cues, you know what I mean? Like learning how to interact with people. And we have slowly kind of come to, as as a society going, we are substituting that, which is a biological need, with this other thing, which is staring, experiencing life through our phones. Do you remember our Liberty Tree homework that we kind of quasi gave everyone two weeks ago? No. Ago? And that was go on social media if you're on it. You just gave me anxiety when you said, do you, do you remember the homework? I just had this like school anxiety well, wash over me. Well, that, Fuck, old, that older woman older. you love so much in your life is going to hear about this. Oh, no. Um. What we said is go on something like Facebook, which neither you or I are on, mm-hmm. and look at like some of the most outspoken voices and then do a dig, just start to go through the thread and you see like how there's a relationship between like how outspoken, how active they are with their comments and everything, and then cross-reference that with a tone. This is a very subtle nuance, but look at the tone in which they're, the things that they post are written and, and you can 
will often find that it's written in the style of, I'm operating off the assumption that everyone wants to hear what I'm about to say. Like, it's very important. They're kind of waiting, as you said, with bated breath on, like, yeah. whatever the outrage of the week or the day is. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, you know, they'll even start sometimes with, like, sorry it took so long to po- you know, to post about this, you know, but <laughs> like, here's my take on it. And, like, it gets into this weird, like, narcissism, technologically reliant kind of perspective of the world, which is very perverse and unhealthy, I would argue. Sure. Which, and which was... Ted K before social media was even a thing had posed to us in his writings. Yeah. Right. I, I liken it to the fact that think of it like this, like here's a metaphor. We have a, we have certain like biological cues that get us to get through life successfully or at least to stay alive. One of them would be hunger, right? Yep. Our body sends us a stimulus response. Like we're hungry. It's time to eat. Why am I getting that stimulus response? It's like, well, we've adapted or we were designed like this because if I don't eat, I'm going to die. And if, um, you know, I eat to survive at, the, at the, the most refined, like, biological level. And then once I survive, then I can thrive and then I can procreate or whatever, you know, do better and better in life, which is what we have. We have an innate need yeah. for as human the beings to do that. Hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, but think of it like this as a metaphor, and this is the metaphor for technology, internet, uh, social media, constantly bombarding yourself, you know, the spoon-fed narrative of the corporate mainstream media complex, is you go, your body sends you that biological impulse, right? We're hungry, it's time to eat. And you suppress that biological impulse by drinking a soda and a bag of chips, right? Mm -hmm. And if you do that over a long enough timeline, what happens? I become more and more unhealthy, more and more unhealthy, sicker, 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 and then I eventually die of metabolic heart disease, you know, in my late 50s or whatever. Like, you just can't survive like that. But I have tricked that biological impulse. I have got it to shut up by tamping it, by, you know, satiating it, I'm using my finger quotes there, with something that it wasn't asking for. That's what social media is. That's what our reliance on technology is. And so, you look at some of these things you see on like a Twitter or Facebook, you know, or whatever social media platform you, that you want to look at. It's like people are experiencing, you know, somewhere between, you know, like 10 to 70% of life through this prism of something that's not even real. And we're getting that same biological impulse. Like you need to communicate with people. You need relationships. You need a connection to the natural world. And we tamp that down. We shut that impulse up with, well, I'll just stare at Facebook and get in like an argument. And you see people like, when you, when you start to follow these threads, like this guy's on Facebook like all day because here's this post, here's another post. Yeah. And he's arguing and he's in the comments and you can tell like he's, he's getting something out of it. Like no one does anything that willingly makes them miserable. It is making you miserable because as Ted K said, the, the symptomatic processes of this reliance on technology, he, which he posited were, we're going to see epidemic proportions of, and stop me if this sounds familiar, anxiety, depression, mental instability, suicide, and you, that has all come completely true. And Ted K was talking about that, you know, quite a while ago. This is before social media. Like he, the way he describes things, like he's talking about social media there, right there. Yeah. And just so anyone listening might be conflating what Matt's saying with listening to our podcast, uh, totally separate thing. <laughs> totally different things. Something you cannot live without. We're attacking the shit from the inside. <laughs> we're going to get you inside. We're going to bring you out just like the matrix. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I thought about that while I sat in this stupid Apple store waiting for my stupid phone that didn't work anyway. 
and I'm looking at everyone and they're just the, this gaze look on the face, like looking, trading in a perfectly good phone because the new one is out and this one's got this new feature and everything. And it's go like, I was thinking of take I go like, truer words have never been spoken. I was like, look, it's just all around us right now. I've seen this change drastically in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're of the age. Like, that stuff came in the middle of our lives. We don't feel that old, but, God, we must be. Because when we were kids, none of this was even conceived of. Right. I saw, so that kind of went into another kind of study that I saw. Do you know what the average amount of time that Americans spend on the Internet? Average. Oh, boy. No. Tell me. Six hours. Per day. Six hours. You're spending six hours of your day. On the internet, I remember as a kid, my mom telling me that a statistic like that, that the average American spent six hours a day watching TV. I was always only allowed to watch one hour per day. Me too. And that the average American spent six hours. Six hours. Which means that a lot of people spend more than six hours. Yeah. The same with the internet. Yeah. A lot of people spend more than six hours. Because we have, I mean, we're on the internet a lot just for this podcast because, you know, we research things and everything, but mm-hmm. nowhere near six hours. And so we're below average. I know some guys, I asked my buddy this, I was like, uh, what's average? What do you want on the internet? Like, how much time do you spend on the internet? He's like, maybe 45 minutes a day. I was like, so that means for someone to balance you out, someone's got to be on the internet, you know, yeah, eight, 10 hours a day. And... We, this is quantifiable by just the rates that we've seen of depression and anxiety and suicide and just mental, the mental instability that we have seen in our population that has just ramped up into like horrific levels. I mean, if I was going to play devil's advocate, I would say, you know, I would need to see some proof that the causation right. is the same as the correlation. Yeah, it's, it's correlation. Um, but I mean, it, it makes sense. It wasn't there before. Now they are, yeah. there's the correlation. And, <laughs> Every study that you see about, in fact, the people that invented the social media apps. This was done by design. Won't let their own kids won't use it. Won't let their own kids use it. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, what's, what's that documentary that's on Netflix? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of watching TV. Yeah. Uh, the social, I can't remember. But there's a documentary. Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Fuck this. Let's take a turn. So I'm at family dinner the other night. And a, I'm going to use names here, a family member goes like, do you ever watch The Bachelor? Like, uh, no. But Kelly does, and I, I got some statistics for you. I did think of that because I thought, well, that's weird. Kelly brought up The Bachelor a little while ago, and I was thinking, I was like, oh, he brought up with the context of like how many of those couples were still together. And I think it was that show aired in May of 2022, has gone on 25 seasons, hosted by Chris Harrison, I believe his name is. And out of all those 25 seasons, one of those couples are still together. It's like the first thing that popped in my mind. I was like, weird. I, this is the most. And have, to have someone talk to you about The Bachelor is the same. I feel like, as I was mentioning earlier, like, I feel like I'm outside my body. This is like, it's not something that I think about. Like, this is just like a bizarre, like bizarre parallel kind of reality, no pun intended. And I said to this person, I was like, I just, I, I'm not into shows like that. And they were trying to sell me on it. Like, really? Oh, I think you'd really like it. I'm like, I don't think I would. Was this a dude? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but now I'm thinking about the show, which is something I had not previously done, which is a bizarre I- irony. Uh-huh. And so now couple that with insomnia, 
now I'm looking at The Bachelor. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh boy, like here I am. Cause I'm just like kind of intrigued by this other part of the world. It's like, it's like visiting a previously untouched tribe in the Amazon or, or like going back to Rome and like, do you want to go to the, the gladiator shows where they just butcher a bunch of terrified animals? Like it's not, not really, <laughs> but it is fucking fascinating. Right. I kind of do actually just cause I want to see on a cultural level. I want to see what people's reaction really is. Is everyone in the crowd really bloodthirsty? Do they really want to see this. Do they really, or, or are a lot of the people, do you hear comments like, Oh God, no. Oh, just put it out of its misery, you know, or, or, you know, sympathetic, Comments right. like that. Like, what was it really like in the Coliseum yeah. during those shows? There's a macabre part of our dark side of our personality that wants to really know, like, psychologically, like, what was going on with this phenomenon. I don't even consider that dark. Yeah. I don't think that's a macabre thing. I want to know what's going on yeah. in people's brains. Because we're the same people. Yeah. Really. I mean, we haven't oh, yeah. really Absolutely. evolved much since then. So when I had this discussion about The Bachelor... I was like, no, I haven't seen it. And they're like, oh, there's a new season. It's called The the Golden Bachelor. Oh, yes. We've been seeing the trailer for that. <laughs> so I found this article from Yahoo News. The Golden Bachelor. I believe Gertrude's comment when I said, babe, look at this commercial. I believe it took her about five seconds before she just went, gross. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Have you looked in the details of it? Of course not. Okay. This is from Yahoo News. The Golden Bachelor, too risky for primetime? Coming this season to ABC, The Golden Bachelor features a unique twist on the original show where 22 potential mates will vie for the romantic interest of Bachelor Gary Turner. However, The Golden Bachelor deviates from the original show's wildly successful ratings-driven format and then in that a blindfolded Turner is poised with the challenge of identifying each woman by scent as they take turns urinating on him in this German-style BDSM-themed reality drama. In anticipation to the show's opening, Turner was quoted as saying, I'm excited. This is definitely something new for me. One day you're looking for love. The next, you're in love, he chuckled. The Golden Bachelor coming this season to ABC. Check your local listings. Pretty good, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what's funny about that to us and probably no one else is that when I was asked, are you watching the, you know, it's called The Golden Bachelor. I just like laughing at the dinner table. Right. And my wife's kind of like giving me a look like, what are you so funny? That's the first thing that popped in my head. Like, golden shower. <laughs> it's like bachelor based on the, the golden, golden shower bachelor. <laughs> and then you muttered to your wife, like, oh, my God. I was just, you know, never mind. Just keep out of salad, please. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. That's why I woke up at 1.30 this morning. It was so, worth it. I was like, I'm going to write that down. It's definitely <laughs> worth it. So let's talk about some... We were kind of centering around this episode around Liberty Tree predictions. Mm-hmm. And I started to think about more because the way that I remember it, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay. the making the predictions is kind of why we started doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Because I remember in the beginning, we wanted to just preserve these predictions for possibly right or wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and because I remember I just got so tired of saying, I think the original one is my kid's school shutting down for spring break. And you're going like, they're not, they're not, we're not going back. Mm-hmm. They're going to shut for the rest of the year. And I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And no, we, we knew. I, I remember writing an open letter to everyone I could write, send it to that, hey, this is it. Spring break's over. Let's all get back to work. Knowing at the time it was never going to happen. Yes. That this two weeks was. And then because of this weird goldfish, there's the plastic castle again mentality, you tell people like, remember I was saying that they were, they were going to stay close? Like, I don't remember you saying that. I'm like, 
really? You don't remember saying that? Like this, like you called me crazy. This was a week and a half ago. You're mm-hmm. saying like I was out of my mind. It came true. And I just got tired of people like shrugging going like, eh. and I'd say like, we're, they're not going to open it next year. And there's gonna be a mask mandate. Yeah. And there's gonna be a vax mandate. And like, that's where all like the original predictions were kind of right. centered around. So to make the predictions, other than it just being fun, like pontificating upon the idea of like, you know, finding an article that a protein-rich diet makes a high, high nitrogen urine content, which contributes to global warming, and then conf- uh, cross-reference to that with an article for Burning Man where apparently Ebola and cannibalism just broke out. You're like, oh, well, cannibalism obviously being a high-protein-rich diet, which means there's a lot of nitrogen. If that contributes to global warming, then we get hurricanes that we don't typically get in other places. And now we're going to have, oper- and the global elites have planned this whole thing to have Operation Ebola Hurricane to help <laughs> call the population. <laughs> By the way, that was a prediction? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't so much call it a prediction, just an observation, just kind of putting, you know, connecting some dots that maybe previously people weren't seeing connected. Sure. By the way, that, that's why I like to do this, is predictions like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, are you golden? Are you going to Golden Man this year? It's gonna be sick. <laughs> but to go back to the prediction thing, Turtle, is that <laughs> it speaks to the notion of pattern recognition. Where is where these predictions come from? It's going. You know, I'm just looking at the track record of who we are listening to, whether it be Gavin Newsom or Anthony Fauci or whoever the president is or whoever's. In, charging the military, industrial, whatever it is, and just based on this history, and then you can kind of make a prediction. I'm like, well, if they'd done, if their behavior is attributed this consistency up to this point, I can only assume that this will happen next, which makes the predictions fun, right? It's one of the beautiful things about this technological world that we live in. Like the, the key to decoding it is in the technology itself. You know yes. what I mean? Like for, for example, like the the pattern recognition is made so much easier because all you have to do is go to your computer and look up, did so-and-so say this before? What did they actually say? What was the actual words that came out of their mouth? How many times has this happened before? And you can very quickly get a huge amount of data that you can use for your own pattern recognition software. Right, because I think the, the myth of the conspiracy theory or the spoiler alert, as we call it, is that... You guys are just making some wild guess based on this projection because you know you feel you have a, you're emotionally driven to think this about this subject or this person or whatever. Like, no, in reality, what it is? Oh, no, that's you. <laughs> yes, I'm looking at <laughs> what this person has done before, or you know this, the CIA, the FBI, whatever. What the track record is up to now, and I go, well, based on their history, it the math works out that this would be the next outcome. Like that's what it is, and which I think is the basically the, the the primary misunderstanding of fringe conspiracy theories. You know what I'm saying? So I agree. Let's yeah. talk about a recent prediction that I made: is that uh, masks and lockdowns were coming again. Mm-hmm. I, think I gauge it to be somewhere from around now. Mm-hmm. So partially that came true. There's some college campuses that required masks. Um, a lot of businesses were on board with masks. I think some schools shut down. I believe your son's school shut down. It did. If I remember correctly. Yeah. But let's just say for the most part, I was wrong on that one. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it wasn't, wasn't systemic, wasn't everywhere like we experienced before. Right. I, I mean, I, I haven't had that thought yet that uh, he was wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely thought like, mm, didn't quite turn out the way that you right. said, but the jury is still out. I mean, that push is still kind of happening. It is right. Which we can get into the tiptoe of totalitarianism. I was like, well, they, they bring it out here. We push back and then they brought it back when brought it up one step, they progressed their agenda just a little bit. And we all thought like, yeah, we, we fought back, we fought the power or whatever. Meanwhile, like, no, they're, they're still trucking right along with, the, with what they want to do. Yeah. So a couple thoughts on this is they definitely tried, right? Would you not agree with that? Let's just say I got, let's say I got the prediction wrong. It didn't come true, mm-hmm. but they definitely tried, right? They definitely floated out the idea of like, Mm-hmm. Could be more lockdowns coming, schools shutting down. We're going to bring the mask back. Mm-hmm. We always liken this to the notion of the, the Jurassic Park metaphor. It's like when they, that part in the movie where he's like, yeah, the, the velociraptors, I believe it was, were systematically testing the fence. Like, yep. where can we get through? Where can we get through? Where yeah. can we get through? Like, not here, not here, not here. And they got they zapped trying. every time. Yeah, and they keep trying, and they didn't try care. and try them. The same as the people that are pushing the mass and the lockdowns and the, all the draconian shit that they are. Like, they don't care if they get smacked down. Right. Doesn't, they could take a few punches. Their job they can is take to, a few shocks to the nose. Their job is to get out of that fence. Like, that's what their fixation is. Mm-hmm. So this time, thankfully, they received a low-grade cultural kind of barometer of like, no, we're not having that. Like, okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Exactly. So this is what David Icke, when we I talk- guess we'll just uh, hang up our authoritarian <laughs> boots then and uh, let, go out the let pasture. Leave everyone leave, live peacefully in freedom from yeah. here on out. So this is that, that tiptoe of totalitarianism. It comes from a guy named David Icke, who's a very polarizing figure, but he's the one that, as we mentioned earlier, that goes like, they don't go from A to Z. They go from A to B and then B to C. And I want to instill in people's minds a way to think about the progression of authoritarianism. Think of it as a ratchet strap. I'm sure you've heard this analogy somewhere yeah. before. It's, you got that, you're going to pull that ratchet strap, right? All this tension, 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 tension. It gets too tight to hold anymore and you let it go. And the, Ratchet strap seemingly has gone back to its relaxed natural state, but it has gone up one click every time. Every time we pull that strap up and it gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And we think... And it cannot go the other direction. And it can never go the other direction, which is the entire point. Yeah. Basically why we started this podcast. (laughs) The tension, the only way to release the tension on a ratchet strap, there is a release mechanism which undoes the whole thing. You go back to square one, mm-hmm. lumber flies off the truck, ratchet <laughs> comes undone. Cars are wrecking. Cars are wrecking, which would be a metaphor for something like the French Revolution, where the unwashed masses go and drag the political elites out of their palaces and bring them alive in the streets. Definitely not condoning that. No, <laughs> Don't do that. Not, we do not want to go the direction of the French Revolution. But much like, so another point on the, on the predictions is... We, you and I benefit just on the subject matter that we cover on this podcast is like, we have a bit of a, I guess, call it like an ideological parachute or a bit of an out in that we're always making predictions about the darkest shit ever, right? Mm -hmm. And so we can get off the wall with uh, Operation Ebola Hurricane, for example, or something simple like school closures and anywhere in between, but we benefit from... If our prediction doesn't come true, just the nature of the things that we talk about on this podcast, if our prediction doesn't come true, that's a good thing. 
Yeah. So when someone goes, ah, you're wrong. I was like, yeah. Yeah. And that, isn't that a good thing? Like right. they didn't shut down the schools, right? Uh, Operation Ebola Hurricane was totally made up in my head. Uh, there is no such thing as booster rate. Sure enough, there is a such thing as booster rate, unfortunately. <laughs> so it would be like making a prediction if I go like, okay, here's my prediction. Uh, I think out of the blue, Hooting the Blowfish is going to get back together and release a new album by the end of the year. And 2024 rolls around and you're going through our podcast and you go like, went through a prediction. You're totally wrong, dude. Totally wrong. I was like, you're right. I was wrong. And you're welcome. The world didn't <laughs> want another Hooting the Blowfish album. So think of it like that. Did you happen to listen to Darius Rucker on Adam Carolla's podcast? I did. He's a fascinating guy. Really good, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I actually like his country music quite a bit. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Oh, he seems like a great dude. <clears throat> I mean, Hootie and the Blowfish, not my cup of tea, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about this while I was working in the yard and my wife came out and gave the standard, like, how are you doing? And now that I have begrudgingly re-entered the matrix, instead of going, fine, I'm like, well, like, here's what I'm thinking about is we added, just added another trillion dollars to the debt. Uh, which brings us to what thirty-three trillion dollars, something a little over thirty-three trillion dollars, give or take, yeah, a trillion, give or take a trillion dollars. <laughs> and by every conceivable metric, every almost every economist is saying it's just a matter of time before this house of cards falls. Like, and it's going to be devastating when it does. And well, that would be except for uh, Biden's sycophant and maniac Paul Krugman, who everything's just fine, <laughs> everything's working along just fine. And then I'm all last night, Hamas. Hamas just launched hummus. Hummus, yeah, I believe. <laughs> Hamas just launched an invasion on Israel. Israel indiscriminately killing civilians and taking a bunch of prisoners, many of whom were women and children. If you believe the videos that you see, this happened just two weeks after we negotiated a prisoner swap with Iran. Iran, I was told you're supposed to uh, pronounce it. And on top of that prisoner swap, we also gave six billion dollars to Iran. Now, right after that, all of a sudden, the Iran-backed Hamas decides to invade Israel. But fear not, that $6 billion that we gave to Iran on top of the prisoner swap, we gave them some very strict conditions that's only to be used for infrastructure or humanitarian aid, to which Iran said, what? Uh, no. You got it. <laughs> no problem. No problem. <laughs> so right after this invasion happened... Biden and the Biden administration and all the, the, uh, what do you call them? The uh, investment hedge fund global pedophile network known as Congress all came out and said, uh, ally, our longtime U.S. support, our longtime U.S. ally, Israel, is, has our full support, right? As you would expect them to do. And then Iran goes, well, Hamas and Palestine have our full support, right? This is being done at the same time that we are, Ukraine also has our full support, who is the apparent enemy of Russia, while Russia aligns with China, and China talks about, uh, I think we're, we're really thinking about giving Taiwan a go here pretty soon. Point being is you see this binary division of global nuclear superpowers basically starting to draw lines in the sand. This is what I was thinking about. Have you been thinking yes. about this at all? Yeah. Which... It's fucking terrifying. Yes. To me. Yes. By the way, the Hamas is like, where do they get all those weapons? Like, well, they bought them off the black market from Ukraine, and Ukraine got them from us. And the other half of the weapons they got were the ones we left behind in Afghanistan. So once again, 
U.S. global hegemony superpower, way to go. We have managed to arm both sides of a war. Just like Dave Smith says in his the intro to his podcast, you know, if you want to know who we're going to be at war with next, look, look who we're, we're funding today. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I don't. You know, so this is the thing that's happening. Mm-hmm. The I'm going to throw a bone to James right here because um, I think he's been wanting us to talk about fiat currency. We're just about to get in that. For a while. Okay. Yeah. So the idea that a, uh, a global currency, the, the U.S. dollar, for example, which is the global currency. Um, so yes, can, a combination of that using the via the petrodollar. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how much history should we give here? Well, um, in 1911, yeah. <laughs> I would have you know. <laughs> so when the U.S., I mean, just to... Quickly summarize when the U.S. went off the gold standard, seventy-one, um, I believe, right? Yeah, that's yeah. when we finally kind of just cut the cord yeah. to the gold, uh, to gold backing the dollar. Right. We were able to do that because the whole world was forced to trade oil in U.S. dollars. Right. Forced or coerced, whatever. Um, that meant that the essentially everyone needed oil, so therefore the U.S. dollar was the world's. Um, currency. The ability to print money is a problem because there doesn't have to be anything backing that yes. that money. The money can be worthless. And as long as the whole world has to use it, then the inflation is never going to hurt America the way that if Nigeria prints millions and millions of their own dollar, whatever it's called. I have thoughts on Nigeria too that I'm going to bring up later. Oh, good. <laughs> They will... Um, I've been up since 1.30. <laughs> Nigeria will tank relative to the rest of the world. But the U.S. never has to worry about that because right. everyone has to use our dollars, so we print as much as we want. It just It's relative. It's relative. We all suffer in the world together. Yes, it hurts uh, Americans because the elites are taking our money and giving it to banks. Every yeah. time they print money, they're just taking more of your money and giving it to the top. It's like they're they're digging sand out of a out of a sand pile, and yes, the sand pile keeps falling down into the hole, but it doesn't matter because you you keep digging and digging and digging, and that sand from the bottom gets placed on the top. Right, the people at the top get to use it; it just yeah. keeps collapsing at the bottom. I also visualize it in a way, you know, if you want a, like a more kind of tangible metaphor, is imagine a bunch of ships in a bay. More it, tangible than a pile of sand. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think yours is better. But imagine. <laughs> The tide's going out really fast. Like, well, how deep is the water in here already? Like, it might not affect you at all. It might completely fuck you. <laughs> you might be stuck in the mud. Right. So, so, anyways, the point of bringing that up. So, what's what's always uh, preempted a reset to the money system in the world is a war. The only way to really get rid of the dollar is to have a war. Almost like we organized this. (laughs) That's exactly what I've been thinking about. Because if you do not have a really good reason to totally abandon the dollar, people are not going to stand up for that. Like if they just came out one day and said, you know what, we're done with the dollar, we're going with the central bank digital currency, CBDC, people would be like, fuck off. Yeah. Which they have tried things like that and people have said, fuck off. But in a war, but what can they, you say? Then they got on a plane <laughs> in South America. <laughs> so I, I got a meeting with the Clintons in Arkansas after this. <laughs> so the point 
of bringing that up is that a war is going to happen or else the powers, the, the elite psychopaths that are controlling our money system and our Congress and our presidency and all of the powers that are uh, enslaved, essentially enslaving all of us will not survive. The only way they can survive is by resetting the whole system. A great, a wonderful, <laughs> big reset. Exactly. Now we want. Where great, have I heard that before? I want a reset as well. I would like to reset the dollar, but on my terms. Mm -hmm. I don't want to reset the dollar on the terms of the global elite psychopaths that are trying to do the great reset, Klaus Schwab and these great banks. Now I don't really know enough about this subject to be talking about it as. Like, as opposed to our other episodes. <laughs> as I am. <laughs> I don't think it's purely black and white, mm -hmm. them versus us. I think that there's, you know, there's reason to believe that the the U.S. dollar versus the euro is a, is a fight that we should win, that we want to win. But at the end of the day, this idea of fiat currency that's printed at will is terrible for humanity. It's never yes. worked. It's always created problems. And it's turned Americans into soft, just spoiled brats. Amused. We do not have to work for anything anymore. We don't have to make anything. We don't have to produce any machinery. We don't have to manufacture anything. All we have to do is just sit around on our phones and just amuse ourselves to Amuse death. to death yeah. with technology, the reliance on technology, and to quote the great George Carlin, buying shit you don't need with money you don't have. Yes. We have become a vapid, empty, intangible consumerist class, which is a perfect way to describe economically how America operates. So I don't see, when I see this thing that's happening with Hamas, mm -hmm. allegedly, mm -hmm. in Israel, I can't help but see it through this lens. The powers that be that control just about everything, they control the social media where you're hearing and seeing videos of what's happening in Israel, at the end of the day is controlled to some degree by global elites. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And I see this shit, and all I can think about is they want a world war, and they will do anything they can to provoke a world war. They tried in Ukraine, and there was, there's been a lot of pushback. Mm -hmm. They're going to try in Taiwan. There's mm -hmm. going to be pushback. They're going to try in Israel. Yes. And I, I see this shit, and my first instinct, and I haven't... The only things I've seen has been on Instagram and stuff that Gertrude's told me. But I see it, and my initial reaction, and I could totally be wrong about this in the spirit of our predictions, I think it's all bullshit. I don't, think, that there's, I don't think there's Hamas death squads going door-to-door -door and, and killing people in Israel. I don't think it's nearly as bad as they say it is. I don't see how the Israeli, the most well-armed military in the world next to the United States, is just... At all of a sudden on their heels with these goat farmers and Hamas like coming and like just totally taking over Israel. Maybe that's not what they're alleging is happening, but that's what it seems like from what I, all the videos that I keep seeing on Instagram. Yeah. To me, it just seems like a bunch of bullshit. I, I'm, I'm disagreeing with you on that one. Okay. I think that it is actually happening. Uh, I definitely think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. I mean, we can go back to the ghost of Kiev, Ukraine, and they showed like video, uh, video footage of a video game 
I'm like, that's from a video game. Like, how, like, this is the ghost of Kiev. Like, he's just this mastermind that took out all these, like, Russian warships. Should we show this video? And there's a guy looking at it. Mm, it's close enough. Yeah, we can show <laughs> that video. That's, that's good It's enough. a video game, right? Yeah. It's close enough. Uh, there is a definitely quite a bit of truth to what you're saying is the videos you see and, and uh, the death squads and this and that. And, like, you, you know, some of these things are pretty easily refuted. I'm like, I, I remember seeing that footage during the Ukraine invasion, so that can't really be happening in <laughs> Israel right now. I actually have seen that. I'm like, that's this is something totally different. I believe that the invasion is happening. I believe that it is coordinated on all fronts. That China, between China and Taiwan, Ukraine, Russia, Hamas, and Israel. And I think it's being propagated and coordinated by these same global elites that you're talking about. An invasion. It's an invasion. Yeah, I just... It's, they're trying to, and there's, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any accident or coincidence that everything's lining up on these lines that have been kind of jawing at each other forever. So you got Iran and China and Russia and, I don't know, I guess we'd throw North Korea in there eventually who no one wants North Korea to be working with him. But North Korea is like, think of it like a, like a sketchy hoodlum, like all the sketchy guys he grew up with in the neighborhood and they go around and vandalize shit and steal bicycles. And then there's like the really fucked up schizophrenic kid that lives at the end of the block. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, we'll bring him into our, we need numbers. And, uh, you know, I heard he tried to stab his mom last summer. So that's kind of cool. You know, that's North Korea, basically, and the, the, how, how they'll bring North Korea into the fold. Like these, they're fucking maniacs. But we, we, need, we need as many numbers as we can get. And I think this ties into, and let me know if this is a bridge too far, into would you agree that there has been this crazy coordinated push for things like a CBDC and a global ID or the WHO's health pass or basically some kind of system that is completely digital that can be spread over on a global scale to kind of keep everyone in check. Yes, I would say that, yeah, there is that push to... So what would you, what would you be, not to put you on the spot, but what would... Please, what, <laughs> by all means. Have you ever kissed a dude? Uh, Do what were we talking about? <laughs> CBDC. <laughs> um, what would be your elevator pitch if someone is like, because I've had this conversation, I'm like, are you worried about at all about this push for the CBDC? And they're like, I don't even know what that is. And you have to explain someone what it is. What is CBDC? CBDC. Well, it's a centralized control of uh, currency that can be turned off and turned on from a, a central Location basically, currency wouldn't exist too, is the way you kind of understand it. You mean like actual paper? Well, yeah, that currency. definitely doesn't exist because everything is this digital control. But mm -hmm. if our money, to the extent that it even exists as, as a tangible asset at this point, anyway, oh my god, I had this amazing argument with someone that told me that I was like, well, the, we're almost at the point where money functionally doesn't exist. He's like, also, I was like, well, we just keep printing more and more and more and more which devalues what we already have, which is how inflation works. And it's like, if we just arbitrarily print all this money, then like, what is it really worth anyway? And it's like at any given time, if the government were like, here's another trillion dollars of the debt, here's another $250 billion to Ukraine, and now we're pledging money to Israel right now. Like, where does that money come from? They're not taking it out of a bank. They're just printing it. It's just, a, they're not even printing it. It's just a number that we send to someone. Like we're halfway there to the CBDC at this point anyway. Right. Their argument was like, well, we are there, right? A central, yeah. a digital currency. I, we've made this, or I've made this argument before on the show 
you have digital currency now. Every time you use your ATM card, that's digital currency. Yeah. The important part is the central right. part, the centralized nature of that, where it can be turned off with just a push of a exactly. button. Exactly, which is the point that we say when you say, here's, you know, I know this from your vantage that this makes me sound like a crazy person. I was like, but what, what do you see as the potential risks of some government control of all money? Is it this arbitrary number that you just subtract and add to your employer sends the money you know, into the cloud or whatever it is, and it all is filtered through this government entity that at any time could just like, well, just shut off your number. Like, why? Like, maybe you said the wrong thing on, online. Maybe you attended the wrong protest. Maybe you like, I don't know, raised some questions about uh, injecting yourself in an experimental, <laughs> you know, vaccine or genetic therapy product. And they go like, they could come to you and say like, you better take that down or we're going to just shut off your number. All of a sudden I can't buy groceries. I can't put gas in my car or anything like that. That's, it's not about the money. It's not about the devaluation of the currency, which is important and is a problem. And while it's, it's control, it's subjugation, that's the tiptoe of totalitarianism. That's the ratchet strap. It's like everything just keeps going a little further. I was looking at today that they, the EU is unveiling in two weeks a CBDC. Now, they originally pitched it for the entire population to people who are like, no, there, there goes you know, what we always kind of bark at. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's, your privacy is gone. Every transaction is, is tracked. Um, you know, they could shut it off at any time. There's the control and subjugation They mechanism. can get rid of cash. They get, they, they, that's what they want to do. That's right. what the end goal. But you can't do that without a great reset right. of the currency. And, and the European Union, the citizens go like, that, that's ridiculous. Like, we're not signing into this. And they're like, okay, fair enough. But we are going to unveil it for our central banking system. For, so all banking and trading is going to be done with a CBDC. Yeah, that's the A that's, to B instead of the A to Z. And what just happened? Yeah. The ratchet strap just got a little, one more click. And everyone yep. goes like, that was a close one. I'm like, it's not. It's not at all. Right. Think about it. Okay, here's a bit of a side street. Do you know how John Wayne Gacy uh, subdued most of his victims? Uh, I feel like you've said this a few times on the podcast, but is he, I don't have the same taste for serial <laughs> murder as you do or insomnia <laughs> is what he did is he took out, you know, he'd bring home a young boy, uh, usually one of his employees. He ran a construction company in the Chicago suburbs and he would say, look, I'm going to show you a trick. And he got, got out some handcuffs and he put the handcuffs on. He's like, look. And then they're the trick handcuffs. You can get out of them. And you do it a couple times. Like, oh, cool. It's like, you want to give it a try? Put these handcuffs on. Okay, like, okay, yeah, let me see if I can do it. And next thing you know, he's buried under his house after being yeah, that's grotesquely nice. violated. Yeah, thank you. But the reason why I bring this up <laughs> is uh, not because I'm schizophrenic or have the world's worst ADD, is think about, remember the notion of the 15-minute city that we mm-hmm. talked about? We did like a pretty deep dive on that. Mm-hmm. Is they say... We're going to divide up our urban centers into these 15-minute cities, and each urban center will be divided into these districts. You guys couldn't find a better name than that. And these districts are made by design. They call it the new urbanism. So what you do is everything that you need is within 15 minutes of your house. You know, your groceries and your, your library and you got a park and everything. And everything can be either walked to or public transportation. Notice I didn't use private transportation. 
um, assumingly this doesn't exist in the 15-minute city model, and you don't have to go anywhere. And this is done because travel is bad because why? Global warming. Global warming. Climate change. This is done. This will be a climate-sustainable model for a city, right? And it's sold to you like, look how convenient like everything's going to be. Now, if you have the skeptic brain like you and I have, what are the first questions that kind of come to your mind with the 15-minute city model? Well, when you brought this up, because new urbanism has been around for a long time. Right. And it's not, new urbanism is basically the same thing as old urbanism. Walkable cities like Philadelphia and Boston Mm -hmm. were 15-minute cities. Right. Because people, a lot of people didn't own a horse and everything, you walked everywhere anyways. And the the free market dictated, like, this is what makes the most sense. Correct. A store will appear here or a park will appear here. Exactly. So enforcing that this on people, forcing people to live in the 18th century (laughs) is the problem. Yes. That now we have the means to travel and and we're actually taking that away from people. You're limiting people's freedom. The 15-minute city is that. New urbanism is the idea that people will want to live in these kinds of cities because they do. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, people want to live in Philadelphia and yeah. New York City, and, and there's there's conveniences there that appeal to a lot of people, especially young people. You and I both lived in San Francisco when we were young for that. Loved it. You know, similar reasons. Yeah. The problem with a 15-minute city is that this is going to be enforced right. through violence. And so what we say is... When you have that argument with the NPC and you go like, do you really think, okay, so, so they're going to divide the cities up into districts. I mean, it all sounds good to me, right? This makes, a, you know, they're selling us something that I didn't even know I needed. This is great. What a great improvement of life quality. And you're like, well, the problem is, is like, what's to say that these districts won't be eventually gated off and enforced? Because if the people that are selling you the notion of the 15-minute city are also saying that climate change is an existential threat, well, it's kind of a no-brainer that it would be forced that you wouldn't be able to leave that district. If we're all going to fucking die from climate change, then if I believe that, I'd say, like, yeah, we can't let these people leave, we, whether we enforce it or they people willingly go along with it. So when people say, do you really think that they would, like, fence off these districts and you wouldn't be allowed to leave or you'd be allowed to leave, like, based on a certain, like, credit score or, you know, carbon credit score or whatever? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I do believe that. Just like I believed they were going to shut down my kid's school yeah. when they said just two weeks to flatten the curve. So you say same thing with the CBDC to bring it back. You say, like, do you really think, like, if you said the wrong thing online or whatever or violated this new hate speech law that's arbitrarily enforced, you know, and, and basically made up, like, what's hate speech? We'll let you know retroactively sometimes. We'll go through your social media. Do you really think the government would shut off your, your CBDC so you have no access to Miami? I do. But the point is... Let's just take the government out of it. Let's just say, I believe that we are being ruled by psychopathic authoritarians. You do not, clearly. But either way, let's just not give them the infrastructure where that's even an option. And then we don't even have to have this conversation, which is the problem with the 15-minute city or the CBDC. Or government at large. Or government <laughs> at all. Point is, don't put on the handcuffs, which gets me to my Liberty Tree prediction. So... You basically gave me the intro unknowingly earlier. Is like when you look at previous like economic collapses of countries, right? And the way that they were able to finagle their way out of them with a world war, for example, and then you look at what's going on, that ratchet strap going on in Ukraine, 
in Israel right now, and like now we're looking at Taiwan, and the way that everything's kind of blowing in one direction. And so you think about like, what if these global elites have basically saw like we're gonna kill two birds with one stone here? We could get our authoritarian psychopathic agenda of complete subjugation and surveillance with the CBDC or some kind of global ID, and also wipe out just all this, just the U.S. alone, thirty-three trillion dollars of debt, mm-hmm. and we can just start all over and rebuild just much like that we did in the Middle East after the project for a new American century. Like we need a new Pearl Harbor if we're really going to kick this thing off. Mm-hmm. If people are going to willingly accept this completely different way of viewing what you know, their perception of freedom and autonomy and personal liberty is, it's like that all needs to be shelved. What we do, you know, we talk about the strategy of tension. If we make things so horrifically bad and things get so bad, they will willingly accept like whatever solution. So that could be in the form of like a world war. So that being said, the retreat prediction, and I'm going big on this one. And I hate to even have this come out of my mouth because the real life consequences are so horrifically terrible but I think this year Hootie and the Blowfish are going to get back together and release a new album and dear lord I hope I'm wrong God help us 